This is the IBJ podcast for the week of February 20th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We're releasing episode 241 a few days early because it aligns with a major project IBJ is publishing on Friday, February 17th. Most of that issue of IBJ is dedicated to the challenges facing downtown Indianapolis after the darkest days of the pandemic. And I'll have more on that later. But for this week's podcast, I wanted to feature an organization that has been an integral part of downtown for more than 100 years and is intrinsically linked to quality of life issues and downtown's image. You've passed its flagship location in the Mile Square at least 100 times, but you very likely have a limited sense of all that it offers. It's the Wheeler Mission, and it's in the middle of the first change in its top leadership in 33 years. When Rick Alvis became president and CEO in 1990, Wheeler Mission had 17 employees and an annual budget of about $700,000. Today, it has about 200 employees and an annual budget of nearly $20 million. On any given night, it provides shelter for about 550 people, which is about a third of all people experiencing homelessness in Indianapolis. And it's widely known for its shelter services, to the chagrin of some downtown residents. But those services account for just one spoke in a four-pronged strategy to help men, women, and children get the basic services they need, acquire job skills, move to stable housing, and eventually become self-sufficient. And as Rick will tell us, that mission has become much more complicated during his tenure due to the growing prevalence of drug abuse and mental health problems in the homeless population. Now, 70 years old, Alvis is retiring soon and helping ease the transition for his successor, Perry Hines. Hines became Wheeler's chief development officer in 2021 after a long and varied career as an executive in the corporate and not-for-profit worlds. One of his specialties is marketing and communications, and one of his goals will be to broaden the public's understanding of Wheeler's mission. Now, both Alvis and Hines join us this week to talk about Wheeler's evolution over the last three decades, perceptions of Wheeler in the community, perceptions of the homeless population downtown in recent years, and why they think it's important that Wheeler remain based downtown. Here's our conversation. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, Rick Alvis, a longtime president and CEO of Wheeler Mission. Rick, thanks for making time today. It's, it's great to be here. Great to be here. And we are joined by Perry Hines, the incoming president and CEO of Wheeler Mission. Hi, Thank Mason. You. How yeah. are you? I'm doing great. I should also mention Perry has been Wheeler's chief development officer since 2021. 2021. That's great. Okay. Tell us what you've been doing. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Ask Rick. He'll probably say pretty much nothing. But <laughs> but no, as a chief development officer for any nonprofit, Mason, our job is to get resources for the organization. Most of the time, those resources are financial resources like donations and in-kind donations, cash donations. But also, it's typically a, a 
uh, human resources, like volunteers as well. So our job as chief development officers to develop the resources so the organization can fulfill its mission. It can do what it needs to do and typically involves money and people. Gotcha. We'll actually hand the baton uh, over to Perry on uh, March the 22nd at our board meeting, board of directors meeting. And so that'll be my last board meeting that I'll, I'll be attending and uh, he'll uh, take the reins at that point. And uh, it's been a, it's, it's been a really a good time of just communicating and connecting and, and uh, cause there's uh, a, a lot of stuff that uh, goes with this position. And uh, Perry's going to be drinking out of a fire hose here in in, uh, in a couple months. I have been drinking. Not, <laughs> not going to be drinking. I already have been drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> now, as we were talking before the before we started recording, we had spoken. I did an interview with you for IBJ about twelve years ago when you were just in your twentieth year of leading Wheeler Mission, and you said at the time that you, when you started, you didn't think that you would last more than a year or two. Well, you got a good memory, but you must have watched the video since the, uh, before this. Uh, yeah, I don't have a very good memory. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. remind me, what what changed? How did you end up here for thirty two years? Well, you know, that's a the only the the one answer is God. You know, God, you know, drove us here. A good friend of mine who was a CEO of a company in Evansville told me that CEOs need a change of uh, venue every seven years, and if you look at uh, some businesses that happens, you know, where CEOs come in. And it seemed like Wheeler was always on the cutting edge of something every three or four years. And it's really kept my interest in my involvement alive. Uh, nothing has gotten dull in these 30 some years. There's always something new looking at us all the time. And, and there's going to be, there still continues to be new stuff happening at Wheeler that Perry will have to embrace and go after and answer. And those are the things I think that's kept me motivated to stay here this long. It's just mm-hmm. the change that we've had over these 30 plus years. And there's been no dull moments. I have a couple of stats here that I think give folks a good overview of, of maybe the scope of the change. So I understand in 1990, Wheeler had 17 employees. Yes. And the budget was $700,000. Yep. Yeah. Is currently, you have 200 employees and an annual budget of nearly $20 million. Yes. Yes. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, overwhelming uh, because, uh, you know, I, 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 the other statistic, Mason, it's uh, uh, in the time that I've been here, uh, because one of our, our board members asked me what I accomplished through the years. And so I started thinking about that. And it took me some time. And I even went back into our financial audits, clear back to 1990. And uh, in this time that I've been here, uh, we have raised over a quarter of a billion dollars. A quarter of a billion is what we've raised. Raised. Yeah. From, in, in terms of grants, of donors, yeah. the whole schmidt. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, that's a lot of money uh, to be raised over the course of 30 some years. I was going to ask you about this later, but I was going to say, yeah, to do all the things that you've done, all the change that we've seen at Wheeler, it takes a lot of money. How did you do that? It's not easy to raise money. It's not. It's really it's relationships. And and not any of that was government money. This is all private donations, private donations. You know, of course, Lilly Endowment's been very good to, to us here as they've been good to this community. 
And uh, so it's been connections like that, but mainly individual donors that have had an interest that you build relationships with that, you know, you can approach to ask for even larger gifts. And so that's a process, but it's an exciting process uh, to do that. You're coming from a development standpoint. Sure. You must be pretty good at it. I don't know about that, but I've been pretty successful in raising money for several organizations here in town. Um, but Mason, you're asking kind of how you asked Rick, how did he do it? It's really, you know, first of all, it's God. But number, but secondly, it's about relationships. Development and raising money is is all about relationships. I mean, you get to the point where, you know, I tell our folks all the time, we're not, we don't explicitly ask for money. Right. We ask, how can we help you? How can we help the individual or even the the, the private foundation like Lily? Uh, how can we help you accomplish your objectives? And we just happen to be the conduit to do that. So 1990, in terms of facilities, Wheeler Mission was what? Was it just what we now call the Men's Residential Center at 245 Delaware? Pretty much so. Yeah, just two, two, four. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, the mothership of, of Wheeler. I mean, it's been there since, we've been at that location since 1922. The building's been there since 29. Uh, it was built in the Great Depression for $150,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so been there all those years. And then we had, at that point, when I came, I, I, we have a, a home, we had a home for girls out on the south side of Indianapolis, Camp Hunt, uh, down by Bloomington, which is 300 acres surrounded by 22,000 acres of state forest. Uh, those were That was it. And, of course, we've expanded greatly since that time. All right. So, for example, uh, we have the shelter for men, now yes. 520 East Market Street, and recently was expanded, 2021. Yes. What, what would happen at the shelter for men? Well, the shelter for men is where all the emergency uh, men come in for overnights. And uh, that was uh, actually the result of a merge. Lighthouse Mission was had been around for 50 plus years. And uh, so back in 2015, you know, we decided, no, it's longer than that. Uh, come to think about it, that was the other merge. Uh, 2008, I believe, at Lighthouse Mission merged with Wheeler. And that was a great merge because what was happening was Lighthouse and us were doing the very same thing and uh, uh, emergency shelter and long-term program. And then when men would wear their welcome at one place, they'd go to the other mission. So they're just constantly going back and forth. You know, so what happened, it allowed us to just have long, long-term long programs at the uh, 245 North Delaware location. And then we used the Lighthouse facilities over there for uh, you know, uh, just emergency shelter. And uh, so then we were able to acquire more space over there, another building. We just got finished uh, not long ago. And so that's all emergency shelter for men over there. Yep. And uh, even looking at some different things right now uh, on how we intake people, because we're trying to make our environments as safe as possible. Uh, so that was uh, a good merge. It was a very good merge. There is the uh, the women, I'm sorry, the Center for Women and Children uh, 3208 East Michigan Street yes. also was expanded in 2021. Yes. And that one was a merge as well. You know, back in 2000, what was known as the Care Center uh, over on Washington and Rural merged with us. Then uh, we uh, relocated it over to its current site. I'm not sure what year, but uh, I think that was about 2008 as well. Uh, but yeah, then we just got finished with building a new, brand new facility over there for some 
$12 million. And it's a beautiful facility, beautiful facility, very functional. Uh, and uh, we have lots and lots of women and children in that building and uh, been great having it. You have recently, and I'm, I'm not as up to date on this, entered the Bloomington market? Yes. As well, tell me about that. 2015, we entered the Bloomington market. Uh, we have a, a mission down there that uh, we've been expanding at pretty good rate too down yeah. there. Women and children. We have women. Well, no, just women. Women. Just women. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, but um, the men's site is uh, uh, got three buildings. It had one, and now it's got three buildings at the same site. Uh, so uh, we're actually just dedicating uh, uh, a new building there next on uh, next week with the uh, mayor of Bloomington is going to come and, and help us do a ribbon cutting. It's been open, though, for about a, a month or two now because yeah. of COVID. We had to postpone the, the ribbon cutting. Uh, we didn't want to expose uh, people, the mayor especially, to COVID. So we decided to delay it's a beautiful new facility, 80 beds uh, that we've been able to expand into, uh, making lots more room because we are so jam-packed with people. So, yeah, yeah you know, you, you, you keep keeps life interesting as we do. <laughs> you know, that's why I've been here for 32 plus years. <laughs> so I'm venturing in, in a territory that I don't normally cover. So help me out if I'm wrong. Okay. I think it's generally believed that there are about 1,600 people experiencing homelessness in Indianapolis mm-hmm. at any given mm-hmm. time. Is that mm-hmm. consistent that, with what you That's pretty guys correct. Have? Yeah. Okay. And these are people who are staying in shelters or people who are staying outside or wherever else right. they can That's find. correct. Yeah. Right. The place to be. How many people can Wheeler in Indianapolis provide shelter for on any given night? What's the maximum capacity? And, and with a caveat that I know it changes sometimes uh, due to the season. The capacity is actually probably, uh, you know, that's a good question. You know, our beds is does fluctuate. But I know last night we had right around 800 people between Indianapolis and Bloomington. So that meant that we had right around 700 people uh, that we housed here of the 1,600. Mm-hmm. Our bed mm-hmm. capacity is probably more like around, I haven't taken a, a toll lately, but I think we're around 600 or so. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. So th- that means we've got people on the floor. We got mats that we put down. And uh, of course, what we've done too, we've actually had to cut down on our bed space uh, capacity a little bit because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Because our beds were too close. And so during COVID, we had to remove beds to give the social distancing uh, a chance to work. And I hated doing that, but hey, you know, you had to cut down somehow because yeah, right. uh, we like to get as many people in beds and not have them on the floor as possible. So just bed capacity 600-ish, and you're almost always surpassing that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All the time. And probably one of the most concerning things to us are the number of new people that we see coming in. And uh, the last uh, probably two to three years, uh, we've seen an increase of people who are first time finding themselves first time homeless. Mm -hmm. And we're entering about, I think this past year, uh, about 3,200 new people into our system, into our data system. And that's a lot of people uh, coming in for the first time. And so that's last year, I think it was about a couple hundred less. I think the year before that was like 100 less. So we're seeing a, just a, a slight increase in the number of new people who actually come into our, our shelters. And we can talk about this in a little more detail later, but I kind of want to introduce this idea that 
Wheeler Mission probably has great name recognition in Indianapolis. You have been at, uh, in the core of downtown, obviously, for more than 100 years. I suspect that for most people, when you say Wheeler Mission, they think, oh, downtown emergency shelter. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a sense of all of the services and programs yeah. that you provide. So let's try to do a quick lightning round here okay. and do a census of these things. And I know you divide them, I think, into four different categories. Sure. Uh, the first you call homeless services. What is that? What's exactly what it is, just mm -hmm. homeless services, just taking people in to, to, for a shelter bed okay. for a night and helping them to maybe uh, help them to get some direction in their life, too, if we can, if they're open to it. You know, after they've stayed for a few nights, we our case managers try to get to them to see, okay, th this is where you want to end up for the rest of your life. You know, how can we help you get someplace else, you know, somewhere else? That's one of them. Residential programs. Residential project, uh, pro programs are a little, a little more com complex because there's different people at different levels all the time. They may have an addiction problem, an alcohol or drug problem. If they're uh, in that category, we try to get them uh, to our, our camp down by Bloomington. Like I mentioned, you know, 300 acres surrounded by 22,000 acres. So if they got an addiction problem, we try to get our men out there and uh, get them away from the environments up here, you know. Uh, get them out of the where the you might say the temptations are for drugs and, and alcohol. Then there's other men and women who are just down on, on on their luck. They've lost their job. Maybe they don't have an addiction problem. Uh, they just have been maybe kicked out of their home. Uh, just have some challenges in their lives. Uh, maybe been evicted from from their apartment mainly because of loss of job. So we, we try to help get those people back going the right direction as well. So Mason, with, um, with our residential programs, we really look at it kind of, I, I don't want to say it's segmented, but we see men and men have certain needs. We see women mm -hmm. and women have certain needs. And then we see women with children yeah. and they have still additional different needs. And so we need to recognize all of that in our residential planning. And so really the goal is to make sure that we help our guests and we call them guests. Uh, we help our guests secure income, safe and, and basically affordable housing. We, what we do is we try to make sure that they are set up for success in life after they leave our four walls. And so that, that like Rick said, it can, it can encompass things like Bible studies, uh, other programs that help them beyond the emergency shelter services that we also provide. So you were saying that we, we, Wheeler has high brand awareness. I say this all the time. We have high brand awareness, but we have low brand knowledge. And so that's one of the things that we are going to be working on in the future. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our conversation with Rick Alvis and Perry Hines of Wheeler Mission. Addiction recovery is another rubric. You talked a little bit yep. about that already. Are there other services? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a great success rate down at our camp. 
where men go down there and uh, we have 70 beds down there. We've probably got only got about 40 people in the program now, but uh, again, COVID we're trying to in a bit rebuilding process. It seems like COVID seemed to really whack that out and, you know, our numbers really plummeted and now we're back into the growing mode again. But, you know, there's no easy fix with addiction. Uh, there's just, uh, there's, you know, I hate to say this, but there's no, no drive through on this thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it takes a long time. You know, we want quick fixes to people's lives. That doesn't happen with this thing of addiction. Mm-hmm. It takes a duration of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about months and months. And sometimes for some men, it's years, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. they just can't kick it. Uh, so that, that's a, a big part of what we do. And, and, and down at our camp, we have some, I mean, most of the staff down there have been former addicts themselves. So they know the games that people play. They're in classes down there. And they're also in a, a industry. We have a, a pallet industry that uh, we, we have them involved in and building shipping pallets because they got to have something to do. You just can't stick men down the in the woods and say, give them a Bible and so go heal yourself. They got to have, you know, some activities, some classes. They got to have a way to work their lives because men are built to work. You know, it's ingrained in us to want to do something. And so this is a way to do that. The women's side also has uh, an industry, which we have uh, candle. They have a candle making industry. And so they're involved. Um, their addiction program, though, is is up here in the city. Uh, the women have approached me before and said, can we get a camp like the men have? You know, <laughs> well, that would be nice. But th- these are kind of expensive uh, things to, to have. And, yeah. uh, so we yeah. try to do the best we can yeah. here in the city. So unfortunately, Mason, I know we want to go into some social enterprises information, but, but um, we 60 to 70 percent of the people we see uh, what we call dual diagnosed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're diagnosed with some kind of addiction, drug, alcohol, whatever the addiction is, as well as a mental illness of some type. So 60 to 70% of the people that we see through our doors every night are dual diagnosed. And so we try to make sure we funnel them and and work with them in the right way. Sometimes some people, they, they just need emergency shelter services. We've talked about those. Sometimes they need to go right into our drug addiction recovery programs. And so it's just, we, we try to work with, we work with them and our counselors do a great job. Our case managers do a great job in trying to figure out and work with them to understand what is best for the individual uh, at that particular time in their life. So Rick, how has the population of homeless individuals in Indianapolis changed over the last 30 years? That's a, that's a great question, uh, Mason, because uh, I've seen it change uh, tremendously. Uh, when I first came, <clears throat> we probably had uh, a bad night would have been 50 men, you know, at 245 North Delaware. And um, mainly alcoholics. Uh, I came from Evansville Rescue Mission. I was the CEO down there for 10 years. And same there. Pretty much so, you know, mental health, eh, not much. Drug addiction, not much at all. We saw guys down there, I remember, from uh, uh, who had come from Vietnam who had got addicted to LSD, and but n- not nothing like what we're seeing today. Uh, and so we've seen a, a big swing from, you know, 50 people, 50 clients to, like I said, 800 total. Matter of fact, I think during COVID, we had 1,200. 1,200. 1,200 max that we were, you know. And there are different facilities. Yes. 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 Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen a big swing from just 
alcoholism. It's kind of it's kind of neat. When I was in Evansville, I actually used to have Bible studies for the men on the program, and it was all about just alcohol. You know, I mean, we had Bible studies, but we talked about they were all alcoholics. They were easier to relate to, but then when you started including up here uh, the drug addiction and, of course, all kinds of drug addiction, and uh, our team has a big challenge when they're trying to meet all these different needs, alcoholism, drug addiction, mental health. Mental health has gotten to be a big issue. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's changed dramatically and it's gotten more and more severe um, because of just the, the, the uh, intensity of uh, what we're dealing with because it's just not an alcoholic anymore, but it's alcohol and drug addiction together. Sometimes we do see guys or gals who just mm-hmm. drugs, just drugs. But it's just all over the field, you know. Mm. And so that's a challenge to try to design programs around, you know, the multi-needs that people have today. Right. I'd seen in some meeting minutes, uh, you were describing the homeless population in Indianapolis and that you broke it down into three tiers. First tier was people who could go into housing immediately. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Uh, Second tier, uh, a, a big chunk of them are people with drug and alcohol problems. Yeah. And then there's a third tier. Uh, the problems are so acute that they are never going to go to your shelter. Yeah. What, what percentage of, of the homeless population is that? Boy, that's a, that's, that's a hard question to ask. It's that last one because, you know, there's, there is a segment out there that's never going to come into a shelter. No, you know, not even on the coldest day will they come because they don't want the, the, the rules. They don't want, to be accountable to anybody. They don't want to be told what to do. They want their freedom. But you almost have to think that is a real serious mental health issue there. Because who in their right mind wants to sleep out on the, uh, you know, the, the cold sidewalk or in the cold when it's 10 degrees outside? You know, if I'm going to be homeless, I'm going south. <laughs> <laughs> way <Yeah>. south <laughs> yeah. it's it's it's, it's a, such a good question because i've yeah. worked downtown for the last 15 years yeah. and you know I tend to get to work pretty early and i will see yeah. uh, people who obviously have are sleeping yeah. outside and sometimes when it's five degrees outside oh. and you know, the question you know from my educated mind is why isn't this person in a shelter yeah mm-hmm. and a lot of it has to be has to be mental health in the fact that they don't want to go they don't want the they don't want to be inside. They really don't want to even be inside. And it just amazes me. I, Mason, too, I also think it's, it's. how do I say it? It's, it's a, sometimes a matter of perception. Downtown Indianapolis right now, it's just starting to come alive with people. But we still are, I, I don't think it's back yet. I don't think there's a lot of people just hustling and bustling throughout the day in the evening. And then you still have the homeless folks who are who refuse to come into one of our shelters. So I think that it looks like it's a larger problem than it really is. I think it's because there's not as many people overall downtown. And then, but the homeless uh, have been steady pretty much. And so it's just a matter of numbers, I think, in yeah. perception. Well, you anticipated one of my questions, no, which thanks. is, I think, as we talked about before uh, we started recording, IBJ is doing a big feature, uh, I shouldn't say feature, we're taking over the next issue sure. with stories about all the challenges that are facing downtown after the pandemic. One of one of the perceptions that we hear a lot uh, from people downtown is, 
boy, it seems like there were a lot more homeless people downtown. I mean, we know for sure that office workers uh, were missing, I mean, big chunk of office workers who may never come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But is it just because they stand out more? Or are you seeing numbers in your in your metrics that would indicate there are more homeless people? Slightly more. Not, the number's not, not up drastically. No. No, it's not up drastically, but, but it's, it, it it's is slightly up. up. It, yes. it is, particularly of the new folks, Rick. I mean, right. the, the numbers that you were right. talking about before. Right, but you know, as far as the number of people out on the streets, is you know, many of them just choose to be there. They they don't have to be there. They don't have to be there. We have capacity. We have we, capacity. we have the bed space. I mean, Indianapolis as a whole, if you look at all the statistics and the, the studies, we have the capacity. So and then you have to ask yourself, why are you choosing yeah. not to go into one of the shelters? And, and you refer to the homeless count. I mean, that homeless count maybe fluctuates 5% every year. Yeah. It could be up. It could be down. But it's 1,600 is just pretty about steady. where it's very steady. Mm, pretty steady. And that's Marion County. That, uh, yes. It's yeah. the point in time Indianapolis, count. Indianapolis, Marion County, yeah. and the point in time count. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, to what degree do you think that the community holds Wheeler responsible for the downtown homeless population. And that could mean either, it's, hey, it's Wheeler's job to make sure that people experiencing homelessness aren't panhandling or sleeping on the street, or that the homeless are congregating downtown because Wheeler Mission is downtown. I mean, is that the set of perceptions that you have to deal with? It, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting perception because I, I think if you removed uh, the Wheeler Mission from downtown Indianapolis, you would see lots more homeless people downtown <laughs> yeah, because they want to be where other people are. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to go out and panhandle and do those kind of things, they're going to, they're going to be down here. So we've kind of been, I think, an oasis to, to attract the homeless to our facility, trying to help downtown, keep them out of the downtown area, you know, out of, mm -hmm. you know, just this general area right here. So that's been our our yeah. our goal is to try yeah. to attract them away from the downtown. But there's some people out there who are panhandling that they don't stay at our mission. Because I, I sent a, a, a couple of our guys out a, several months ago and said, I want you to go downtown and I want you to see all the panhandlers. And I want you to see if you recognize any of them. And they didn't. And they didn't. They didn't. They did not see. They saw a few, but not many. Mm -hmm. And so the panhandlers are down here who are really not homeless. They're just here mm. to make a buck. If I just happen to have a uh, hundred acres of land near the airport, I said, I'm giving that to you and you guys can move all of your operations over here to the airport. You don't think that, that the homeless population would follow you? I don't think so. I mean, or at least they would still they'd come stay, back to downtown. downtown. That it's, it, it'd this, be difficult. It yeah. would be difficult. Because you know, all mm -hmm. the other services, you know, the bus services, everything. I mean, think about, you know, uh, and when you're an individual experiencing homeless homelessness, we don't call them homeless. We call them individuals experiencing homelessness, right? And so if you're, if you're an individual experiencing homelessness, that's just one aspect. You still want to work. You still have to, you know, there are still other aspects of your life. And so they have to be near population centers typically. And so a hundred acres out at, you know, near the airport, is not going to do the trick. And so they still would have to find ways to get to where the population centers are. And so it's just been, that's why the historical aspect of uh, what we do, rescue missions around the country have been those old soup kitchens, those old uh, areas and, and organizations that have been located typically in metro, major metropolitan areas. So to best serve your mission, you need to be downtown because we do. that is where the people you serve are. 
We do, we, we think so. Yeah, because again, you know, we feel like if uh, we weren't here, uh, you'd see lots more homeless hanging around Circle Center Mall. They'd be, you know, all over the, I mean, far worse than what they are now. Mm-hmm. Do you still get pushback from uh, nearby residents or nearby businesses saying, hey, we love what you do, but could you do it somewhere else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All the time. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of normal. Um, we've seen a lot of that more, a lot more of that, don't you think, Rick, in Bloomington than yeah, we have downtown yeah. Indy with the and, businesses. And we've been able to help downtown Bloomington really well because several years ago they had a, a, a real issue down on Kirkwood uh, over at the university. Yep. And uh, the, the folks who were, uh, found themselves homeless were just congregating over there. And the, the uh, Kirkwood business people were getting mm. really upset. And so we uh, opened our doors out on, off on the west side. And we did attract them down there, you know, but it's it's within walking distance too. Yep. You know, right. the airport's not within walking distance. You'd have to provide transportation back and forth there, which would get very, very pricey. Yep. Sure. But yes, we we have heard criticism before and we'll, and we'll always hear that probably, Mason, but we have, we've been blessed and fortunate over the years to have a great working relationship with all the other agencies in town, the partnerships. The city, the city agencies. So, you know, I, I think we we have a, a reputation of being um, someone who, an organization who is looking to solve problems uh, and coming to the table with possible solutions. And so, look at we've been at it for 130 years. We have expertise, and that's one of the reasons the city called on us to help them run the hotels during the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. no one was going to build more bricks and mortar because no one knew how long the pandemic was going to last. But still, you had the need. And and Wheeler had the expertise and the resources to help meet the need. And so are you that, still doing that? Are there still is a population of people in the hotels in downtown Indianapolis? No, no, no they've closed all those hotels to to this. Yeah. Okay. But we've had a great relationship with the city of Indianapolis I sure. just, for for several years now. You know, we love working with the city. Um, you know, um, how long we can work with the city. Uh, I mean, they depend on us. Yeah. They t- yeah. sincerely depend on mm-hmm. on what we're doing here in the community. Our good relationship even spans to places like Broad Ripple. You know, we do our drumstick dash, our largest single, you know, uh, fundraiser. And so we work for months and months with the city officials in Broad Ripple, you know, to, to enable to do that on Thanksgiving morning. So we look at ourselves as being a partner to help solve uh, problems in the communities that we, we operate. But for the most part, I, I don't, we get criticism, Mason, but I don't think it's, you know, something we haven't heard before. And, and to be very, very honest and transparent, I mean, we're not here just to house people. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could wave a wand and make homelessness go away, we'd do it. We would really do it. But we realize it's going to be around. And so we have to address it. But Really, what we're about is, you know, we just don't want to warehouse people. We really want to be able to help force, and not force, I guess. I'd, if, if we could force it, yeah. we'd do yeah. it. <laughs> but we'd love to, to see people experience life transformation, to get out of homeless, the, the homeless rut they're in, to get out of the addiction cycle. Uh, now, mental health is a little bit different of an animal uh, because it's just all what was tied to that. We love to see people being productive. We're not here to cr- create homelessness. We're, we're here to help solve homelessness and to get people out of that whole cycle. That's what we want a partner to do. So to my count, and this I'm sure it's not authoritative, there are about a dozen shelters 
With overnight beds in Indianapolis for men, women, and or children. Not no. really. Not really. Okay. No, no, I mean, you got that number. Yeah, <laughs> That's high. Okay. Yeah. It's, high. it's, it's, it's high. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, uh, you know, we're the largest of course. Uh, and there's probably, um, three or four others that to actually, uh, shelter people. Okay. And do you coordinate with them? Yes. I mean, for oh, example, you, you, yeah. you mentioned, um, I mean, at one point there, there was the merger, for example, with Lighthouse and with another organization yeah. because there was too much uh, duplication. In, in, the, in the wintertime, we we coordinate with all the, the shelters that uh, that are involved in this because we want to get their beds filled before we take any. Well, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> that hasn't happened for a long time. It seems like uh, we just take them in. and uh, But we try to coordinate the best that we possibly can because we're all in it together. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you could wave your, your wand and accomplish a couple more things in the next year. Uh, what, what needs to be done? What are the next steps? Well, you know, I, I've always said that if I had another 30 years here, which I don't, <laughs> and I don't want, <laughs> but I would, you know, um, I would really like to see uh, more in the development of supportive, supportive housing yeah. or, or uh, so we call uh, it supportive care, supportive care, the reason our shelters are so full is because we have nowhere to send people. There is no low-cost shelter or low-cost housing anywhere. Now, there's there's being efforts by the city and, and others to, to create more units, but they're not fast enough. They're just not fast enough. I mean, like I said, we're seeing th- over 3,000 new people come into our system. That means there's 3,000 people coming into, you know, homelessness in a year's time. So if we're going to do that, we got to create 3,000 housing units. Well, that's not going to happen. There's not that much capacity to do that. And so that's what I would really focus on if I was going to be around is, uh, you know, to to expand into that area more than what Mm -hmm. we already are. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, huge need because if we could create housing, low-cost housing, I would think that our numbers should and could be able to fall. Yeah. It's basically what what can we do to help them be successful once they leave the four walls of one of our facilities, right? And so if we can partner with, and we are looking and and working with, you know, uh, CDCs like Inglewood and other organizations to work on that, those issues and come, come alongside them. Because, you know, if they do the housing part, we can do the the services part, the wraparound services, everything else. If they just get the housing with developers built, we could come alongside them and do all that other supportive care for people who are transitioning out of our facilities into the affordable housing and and with all those supportive care issues. And so so we're we're real excited by that. And I think that is one of the major initiatives that you'll start to see here in the next couple of years. And so there's always a capital campaign somewhere, Mason. And so, you know, and uh, so you know, just, just stay tuned. My thanks again to Rick Alvis and Perry Hines. One of the issues that we discussed but had to leave out of the podcast due to time constraints was the city of Indianapolis's plan for a low barrier shelter and to create a master leasing program in which the city would lease units on behalf of property owners to low or no income individuals. Rick Alvis was on the state task force that developed recommendations for the shelter. IBJ does address this story in its latest print issue, devoted almost entirely to downtown Indianapolis and the challenges and opportunities it faces. 
I'll give you a taste of some of the other stories. Reporters John Russell and Mickey Shuey have the lead piece that details the dichotomies of downtown at its latest crossroads. With more than $9 billion in development either underway or in the pipeline, while many office workers choose to work remotely. Mickey Shuey and Taylor Wooten look at the persistent perception that downtown is one of the most dangerous parts of the city and whether the latest crime statistics square with that belief. And Daniel Bradley gets the perspective of people who live downtown, a population that many believe will be vital to downtown's future success as it transitions to more of a residential area. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And I will say that it's easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, and now works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.